So one of the key rules of creativity is don't be an insular asshole, right? <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, that's probably the line of the, of the podcast. Tiffany says, in order to be creative, don't be an insular asshole. That should be a t-shirt. We should Love have, it. we should have merch. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. And welcome to another episode of The Occupational Philosophers, the not-so-serious business podcast to spark creativity, curiosity, and imagination. Hello, John. Hello, Simon. How are you today? Um, All is well. Good to see you. I know it's a very busy summertime over where you are. So, as always, we like to cut to what's caught your curious eye this week. John, fire away. Well, as you can see from my slightly sort of bigger, rougher beard, I've actually just come back from a festival, literally yesterday, and it's called the Wilderness Festival. It's just on the outskirts of London in a place called Oxford. You might know it. And it's in the lovely Cotswold countryside. So, it's, it's a gorgeous part of the country and it is the poshest festival i have ever been to i'm used to going to festivals where you might be jumping around in muddy pits and trying to find a shower on day three but this is gorgeous to the point where there's a verve clico tent <laughs> at the festival which i've never seen before. very festival that's that's, yeah. <laughs> that's something different so something else is going on but it's great there's loads of bands still but there's arts and talks but the highlight was the cricket match on Sunday morning where they play cricket dressed in fancy dress so we had Elon Musk bowling to the Queen and in the midst of it ah. people streak frequently to the point where there was more streaks than runs on the board <laughs> so <laughs> so there you go I was curious about what the hell was going on this sounds amazing, and my sense is a lot of people hadn't slept, maybe as well. If, <laughs> I suspect yeah. there was a, a few people there slightly wired on Verve Clico. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. That sounds like a great festival. Oh, a- I'm a, I'm a little worried about the gentrification. <laughs> of such events, John. But you know, you were there, and I'll let you you vouch for there it. There you go. So, uh, what about you, Simon? Well, Portuguese tarts have caught my eye this week, John. And the reason being, we've had a new bakery open up in town and it just looks amazing. It's like really classy. It's uh, very, very good. And I tried this Portuguese tart and it's the best thing I've ever, ever eaten and has inspired instant loyalty. So it's made me think around what's that thing where people have it and it's so good, they're a fan for life. When you say Portuguese tart, you mean an egg custard, don't you? <laughs> It's not the same. Well, yeah, that's the same thing, isn't it? No, 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 no. It's a Portuguese tart. That's just high end. That just egg. allows them to charge more. It's an egg custard. I get them in Greg's the Baker's down here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. This is why I'm, I've bought. No, you don't get the caramelized top and ah. sort of the fluffy pastry okay. and yeah. Okay, it's a different thing altogether. <laughs> yeah, it is a different thing altogether. But I don't know. I'm not really into baked goods, but this I thought, man, this is. I'm a I'm a fan for life now. So. It's not really a bit more lamer than my usual <laughs> caught my eyes. <laughs> but there we go. Caught your eye and your taste buds. That's good enough. We'll take it. Now, John, we have a guest episode, which is always our favourite shows. This week, we have an international speaker, trainer and writer, known for her work on communication, messaging, marketing and more. She's collaborated with over 450 brands worldwide, 
big and small over the last 17 years, encountering writing that ranges from the sublime to the absurd. She's also delivered keynote addresses, created masterclasses and presented training in 14 countries. She likes her coffee strong and black, her paragraphing short, and her apostrophes in all the right places. And she also has an insatiable appetite for reading about cults, multi-level marketing schemes, and crypto scammers who fake their own deaths. Welcome, Tiffany Markman. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Tiffany. With an introduction like that, there must be something interesting that's caught your curious eye this week. <laughs> what have you? What's been catching your eye this week? Uh- Mine's pretty lame, I think, compared to the, the Portuguese tarts and the very fancy Verve Clicquot tent at the festival. Mine is actually, what's caught my curious eye this week is, is that I am, I look like a grater. I have a puppy at home, an eight week old puppy. I haven't had a dog in 20 years and I haven't had an infant in 11. And this thing bites. So I look like I'm punctured. I'm liberally punctured with little holes. And what has caught my curious eye is that they aren't very pretty. I look like a cheese grater. It's terrible. Anyway, that's what I noticed. And what breed of dog is this again, Tiffany? What, what's the breed? Well, well, that question. Um, this dog is a rescue from a shelter. Uh-huh. And so all we know is that she is 100% dog, 0% cat. And that is all. I was assured by the shelter people that she is a medium mixed breed but I am confident that she is not medium. She's going to be the size of my car. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and uh, do you have other pets that the dog's settling in with <sighs> or trying to settle in with? Yeah. Uh, we're a week in. We have two very geriatric cats who are silently horrified, but otherwise unmoved. We have a very geriatric other dog, uh, my mother's dog, who lives on the property, who hates the puppy, hates her, despises her. And at any given point, we have between 13 and 15 baby bats in foster care who are unaware of the dog. (laughs) Where are the bats kept? The bats live in a flight tunnel because I I rehab them, flight train them, fatten them up and then release them. So they live on the patio in a large sort of a soft-sided aviary. Um, wow. so that they can fly. They are very, very tiny microbats, so they don't need a huge amount of space. That's incredible. Wow. You've got a lot going on. So, look, <laughs> it takes us to our next question. <laughs> Where in the world are you today? Today I am in Africa, specifically Southern Africa, specifically South Africa, specifically Johannesburg, in a suburb of Johannesburg called Woodmead, which is where my office is. And Woodmead is sort of in between a highway and a game park <laughs> okay now on that you're just telling us uh, what can you see out your window right now at your office well again this being africa i can see a lot of generators electrical generators because our power supply is unreliable at best i can also see lots and lots of bunnies there are plenty of rabbits in this office park there are dussies which are rock hyraxes they look like very aggressive guinea pigs Um, we have ibises which are massive 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 birds we call them hardy dars antelope so that's um specifically blessbook and springbuck and and it's a quite weird juxtaposition between the wildlife and the generators and there's also a man with a leaf blower who will be wandering up and down scaring the animals and, and messing up my sound 
Okay, so you but your office the... is in a game park. <laughs> I can see all that, yeah. That's just I can see a washing line out my window. That's oh, it. No, no, it's no. a washing line. I on. have generators and wildlife. And a very nice BMW just drove past. <laughs> okay, but you're in a game park, yeah. correct. Your office is in a game park. No, there's a game park in my office. <laughs> so I'm, ah, okay, yeah, right. so I'm in a massive, massive, massive office park, a 43-hectare office park, and right in the middle of the office park is a game reserve, a little one, no big five, you know, none of the predators, but lots of sort of planes game. And so the little animals, the, the rabbits and the hares and the hyraxes sort of escape and then roam around. And we are all under strict instruction not to feed them because they bite. And just tell me more, Tiffany, the hardy does, is that a localized name that is given to, did you say the ibis? Is that right? Yes. So we have, it is an ibis, there are three kinds of ibises that you see regularly where I live. The scarlet one, the sacred one, which is white with a black beak. And then the, the, the sort of plain, <laughs> the plain noisy one, which we call a hardy dar. Only the gray one is called a hardy dar because it makes the most horrific shrieking sound. It sounds like the mandrakes from Harry Potter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Hence the hardy so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, hardy dar. They are terrifying to look at if you're not expect. They look like, they look like pterodactyls, but, <laughs> but they are largely unaggressive and they eat all the more revolting insects. I think I'm just glad you got into the office alive. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, you got it, bloody hell! What's... <laughs> it sounds very wild, but actually, it's really very civilized. I mean, there are lots of very clean, very fancy cars being driven by all sorts of high-end execs, and there's a car wash. The lion. There's a, there's a the coffee seat. shop. Yeah. No, no, no. They're no the, the, li- the only okay, lions right. in this office park are human. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now. We've talked a lot about what's outside the window, but how would you describe what you do? Oh, okay. That's a good one. So I do three things, mostly writing and mostly for companies. Then next in line behind that is training, mostly about writing or communication. And again, mostly for companies and then speaking, which is again, mostly about messaging, social media, digital marketing, small business ownership, and that I do for anyone who will pay me. (laughs) Those are the things I do. So there's a perfect Venn diagram there with those intersections, right? Writing, communication. And is it all in a corporate environment, Tiffany? Is that generally the frame within which those three things sit for you? Or does it, do you help? Yes. I do very little sort of agency work. I'm very, very little engaging directly with ad agencies in order to serve their clients. And so as a function of that, most of my clients are companies and most of the work I do is business to business sort of comms. But I don't know that that's deliberate. It just sort of evolved. I do a lot of work in legal writing, financial writing, wealth management, investment. So, you know, my clients tend to be corporate. So, Tiffany, we're always curious about where people have come from as they've made their way through life, as they, from childhood through to where they find themselves today. Um, school, maybe started there. Could you give us three words that described you at school? I can. I was uh, geeky, I was an overachiever, and I was anxious. So I'm interested then is what was the journey from school, geeky, overachieving, anxious, to being an award-winning 
writer and I say a creative maverick having seen you speak and jump around on stage and hearing all the good things you speak about what was that journey uh look the the overachieverness has never gone anywhere the anxiety has been mitigated by very effective medication and the geekiness I I realized that you could translate epic geekiness into quite a good lucrative career so all of those things the anxiety is still with me but it's very well managed also as a function of meditation, yoga, and uh, not drinking coffee after 1 p.m. But the other two are, are I've just leveraged. <laughs> what can I say? Being a copywriter and wonderful with words, do you have to be a geek around words and copy to exist in that space? Is that sort of, do they go hand in hand? No, I don't think so. I think they once did. I think when language was more formal, it really helped to be a grammatical purist. But today, the kind of copy that works and the kind of copy that engages and creates resonance and relevance for the consumers of that copy and content doesn't need to be grammatically pure. In fact, it's more interesting if it isn't. So I think you need to love the power of of words, but I don't think you need to necessarily honor or or adhere to any sort of rigid, old-fashioned grammatical structures, if you will. You know, I, I don't think you need to be as much of a grammatical, anal retentive as I was <laughs> when I grew up. Were there people who kind of sort of shone a light on the path that you've taken or inspired you to take the direction you have? I don't know that I intended to take this path when I took it. If I'd known I was taking it, I probably wouldn't have done it. I would have been too scared to go out on my own had I known that that's what I was doing. So I think that my early influences were more political analysts and writers and economists than they were, you know, content and creative writers. Mm -hmm. But certainly I had one or two epic teachers in my early years who taught me technique. And 30 years later, I still use a lot of a lot of those techniques. They still work. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were one or two truly epic teachers. And also I had a very literate grandmother. Mm-hmm. who was very interested in books and reading. And I wanted her to read to me when I was very, very young, but I couldn't say ruh, so I said yeed. And uh, she said she was too busy to yeed to me. She was baking, so I yeeded to myself. And this is where we are. I read that you read a lot, and you say that that's important ah, to keep your, a voracious appetite for reading. Is that fiction and non-fiction? Do you mix it up, or do you get lost in fiction a lot of the time? or? It what do you read? Why I'm, it depends why I'm reading. So if I'm reading for relaxation or entertainment or downtime, then it will be purely, purely fiction. There will be no nonfiction in my relaxation at all because nonfiction to me feels a lot like work. So when I'm reading for development or for skill building or for, you know, to stay on top of trends, that will be nonfiction. And the nonfiction that I read will be a blend of local and international, but the fiction I read will be trashy crime thrillers that usually come in large series i really like that whole genre of utter like airport rubbish yeah it's my favorite thing to read yeah (laughs) now quick question which has just come up i find i struggle to finish a non-fiction books but i can finish fiction ones I've, i've got about 10 or 15 around the house i guess you know work orientated books and i can never finish them or i'd start a new one any tips for <laughs> my affliction? I don't. Whereas fiction books, I'll always get to the end. Well, I don't believe that that's an affliction. I think that that is a function of okay. how nonfiction books are written. I don't think it's you. I think it's them. 
So what I mean is okay. many nonfiction books, may, most nonfiction books could be 25 to 35% shorter. The reason they are the length they are is because they want to be a book where they probably should have been okay. a, an ebook or a short story or a series of blog posts yeah. or a white paper. But the person wants a book and so a book is what it is and it could be much shorter. So what typically happens is you get the value that you want and then you stop. And I think that's okay. I think nonfiction books should be a resource that you dip into as you need them. But I don't think they necessarily need to be consumed in a linear chronology like a story. Mm. And I also get super annoyed with nonfiction authors who sort of shoehorn their nonfiction narrative into a narrative. It drives me completely insane. Like, don't try and pretend that you're telling me a story. You're not. You're trying to, you know, sell me a technique. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it that when they're doing that, is that, that that's the idea they're trying to engage us emotionally, aren't they? This idea where they create a story. Well, they're trying to keep us, yeah, <laughs> keep us with them till the end because they yeah. know that pe- most people stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did what I've just done, yeah. and uh, and again, I'm not I'm not knocking the books. I'm really enjoying the books. Yeah. I just seem to jump between ten and twelve at the same time. That's okay. That's I mean, I think that's using them properly, personally. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Just coming coming back to the early days, the path to where you are asking about people who guided you or inspired you, and you said some great teachers. Is there anybody who inspires you now, Tiffany? I know you're operating sort of a, a very high level, but presumably you still look out and go see people in your field yeah. maybe, that you go there yeah, yeah, yeah. you know in a, in a, oh, in a stratosphere or... absolutely mm. there are people who inspire me in different ways so there are a couple of people believe it or not on social media who are writing really magnificent copy in their posts you know mm-hmm. and there are one or two people that i follow slavishly um quite a number of young one in particular young South African guy who's not who started out not being a copywriter but produces the most epic copy and so has become a copywriter over time while I'm watching him produce this magnificent stuff. So there's a couple of, of sort of young thinkers and, and writers who are producing gorgeous, gorgeous work. And I look at it and I think, my God, if he's this good now and he's 22, can you imagine what he's going to be like at 42? So there are a few of those. Uh, in the speaking world, there are lots of really, really good African and Southern African speakers who are knocking my socks off at the moment. A couple of amazing speakers coming out of India. Yeah, so there's there's some exciting people to watch in my space at the moment. And maybe we can get a list of those off you or just a few of them. So we put them in the show notes. Pleasure. Well, I think it would be pleasure. really nice for people to follow up on that as well. Now, Tiffany, I saw you speak. We both spoke at a conference in New York, and John and I had a little bit of a, a chat in a previous show about some of the insights from running around in Manhattan and New York City for a week. I went to your program, which was Content Ideation Bootcamp, and I, yeah, full, full to the brim, okay, which is good. Like, literally, people were sitting on the floor, and there was nowhere to sit on the floor, so you literally could not squeeze another person in the room. So, just... Firstly, kudos Thank to you. uh filling out that room and everyone was in such a great space. And but you spoke around when you we're writing it you drilled into these four creativity competencies, which really I guess grabbed my attention as well as all the other great things you 
spoke about. But I'd love to go these into detail because often we always almost think around sort of creativity is a bit of that sort of, you know, woo-woo out in the ether. The ability to sort of put it into a framework or something which come out of a study, I think is really interesting for us and everyone who listens to the show as well. So firstly, could you tell us more about the study and where it came from and a little bit of that background for these creativity competencies? Absolutely. Um, when I was creating the content for this boot camp, most of it came out of my head. The technique that I was sharing or teaching was something that I use and that I've created. But I, I was quite interested as I was going in whether there were specific trainable skills that one could try and acquire in order to boost one's use of those techniques, right? So it's sort of, yeah. it, I, I wasn't sure which came first, the cart or the horse, but I went looking for the horse. And the horse that I found was Robert Epstein, Dr. Robert Epstein, who's a psychologist and professor. And he led a study, he and his team led a study in order to measure whether there were creativity boosting competencies. And the study actually was very interesting because it included an ethnically diverse sample, which is quite rare in this space, across 47 countries, 13,578 people. So the team of, of creativity researchers were actually trying to find out which competencies are most important for creative expression and is there a way to boost them or train them or or accelerate them. And they discovered, having explored this sample of 13,000 people, they discovered four competencies. And so those were the ones that I referenced in my presentation. Tell us more about that first one, which is, you've said, capture and record without judging. Do you want to sort of start with that one? Sure. So anyone who's, who's been a content creator or a copywriter or a communicator or anyone involved in message craft, even if it's not written, it might be visual, you'll know that you have a lot of shitty ideas before you have good ideas. So the thing with capturing is record all of your ideas as they come to you without judging them at all. So don't try and select for quality, just record and capture. Because you might find in one of the early bad ideas, a nugget of really good ideas. And I've actually found this to be very true. I often voice note myself um, ideas because I have ideas in inconvenient places like while having a massage or in a yoga class or, you know. So I often voice note (laughs) myself ideas. And the first few are dreadful, but sometimes I get some good stuff out of those first few dreadful ideas. So I think capturing is a miraculous thing that you can do for yourself if you are capable of not judging. And do whatever works. It doesn't have to be written. You know, it might be voice notes, it might be journaling, it might be drawing, it might be shorthand, it might be, you know, a notes app on your phone, whatever your vibe is, but don't delete anything until afterwards. But the idea, presumably, is you have to dip into that well then and just because I capture stuff and sometimes it's almost overwhelming. I've just got stuff and then I have to wade through it and try and seemingly find something that actually may come together into something magical. But there's a lot to, you know, you you would create a lot of material. How do you manage that getting into it? Do you tag it? Do you tag it in some way? Do you try to categorize so that you can go, oh, that might be useful at for something over here or does that so make sense? I have a, it does. I have a very analog <laughs> solution to that. Pro- yeah. Two analog <laughs> solutions. One is that I cull as soon as I start. So I right. basically capture all the ideas over a period of time. Then I go in and I isolate the ones that I want. And if I've written my notes, then I use color to do that. So very analog. I use highlighters to highlight the ones that I want. But if it's, yeah. if it's notes, if it's sort of word processed, I pull them out and put them into a new document. I save the original one as notes and I almost never go back in there unless I lose 
something, you know, unless a document. And then the new document becomes the work in progress before the final document. So that's the sort of process. And I don't go back into the maelstrom of craziness because, you know, that's a rabbit hole that you can never get out of. But it is important to cull quite early on. Yeah, there's that saying, um, be okay killing your babies, Yeah, uh, murder, which is murder your, your ideas. Murder your yeah. darling. So we say that about copy as well because you get very wedded to your sentences and you don't want to delete any of them, but actually very often the copy is better without them. <laughs> and do you find as well that your that capturing and recording, if you've got a certain topic in mind, so for example, I might be thinking of a, an offsite I'm going to do with a team two or three weeks down the line, and so that is in my mind, and I then capture and record stuff that may play into that thing. Or do you find you're just finding inspiration and capturing and recording stuff, whatever's going on for you at any point in time? For me, it's very much linked to things that are on my plate at the time. So I'll, I'll have great ideas, you know, throughout the course of my life, but I'm very often involved in something else that requires an idea. <laughs> so yeah. those ideas, I don't record everything. Those sort of very random ideas that would need some hard work in order to justify. But the ones that are for a particular thing, I'm quite religious about capturing. And I love this idea of, capturing recording without judging because if we turn off the judgment all of a sudden everything flows and you have that license to push towards to the ridiculous yeah and here's what i often find with teams let's say you do you know brainstorm hate to use that word but you know some type of space where you're putting your ideas up in a recorded way the team which discusses if the idea should go up before they write it to see if it's good or not they end up with three or four ideas the team which you know follows best practice is dump everything up and talk about it as it goes up, which triggers other ideas. They might have 100, 150 ideas. The other team's got six or seven. Where do you think the best ideas will be sitting? You know, you, can, you need enough shitty ideas for some of them eventually to be good, <laughs> only just whereas you get stuck with that just the five or six, you know, all of a sudden you've got a lot less to choose from and play with. Um, That's my sort of uh, way of looking. I'm going to give the non-politically correct on The politically correct answer is definitely the group that doesn't judge. But the real answer is it depends who's in the group. Sure, yeah. Right? And it depends what the brief is, how solid the brief has been. Because you could have six people in a group who really understood the brief, who judged their ideas before writing them down and produced three shit-hot ideas out of the six that they came up with. Or you could have six people in a group who sort of weren't really concentrating when the brief was delivered and maybe aren't really good at articulating their ideas or connecting their ideas relevantly to the topic. So they'll have a hundred ideas of which only one is really good. It depends. Depends who's in the group. Yeah, that blew my theory, but this <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm being a creative no, no. I'm being a creativity snob. No, this is good. <laughs> this is good because, you know, when you work with a group, there is no linear way to get that solution no like everyone has a different way of approaching things and it's like that there's a lot of tension in the system so if you're okay with you know one team doing something another team doing another thing getting different results and you know what i mean there's no when you create there's never one perfect way which sort of you've just shown then yeah exactly because you look at it from a different point of view yeah but i think the record without judging for me don't judge just let it flow and then see what happens. Yep. That's that. I like that universal principle. Yeah, it works. Now, number two is challenging. Tell me a little bit about this sort of space of, yeah, what does that mean? So this one is a bit esoteric. And as you've probably gathered from everything I've said so far, I'm not really a very esoteric person. But this one is about doing things that you would not typically embrace. So for me, 
it's taken me a, a long time to realize that I can't and shouldn't only do things I'm good at, that I should also do things that I'm shit at, because those things build me creatively and from a bravery point of view. So just to give you a completely unrelated to creativity example, in December, this last December, I swam in the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, in Cape Town. And if anyone listening has ever been to Cape Town at any time of year and swam in the ocean, they will know that it is freezing. Now, firstly, I can't swim. Secondly, I don't feel comfortable. Oh, here's the leaf blower guy. Just right on time. <laughs> yeah, there he is with his little leaf, with his lot. He looks like, it look, he looks like the guy from Ghostbusters. He's got a big pack on his back okay, and, a, yeah. <laughs> and like a long trunk. It's wonderful. Anyway, so you can hear him now. He's, he's right in front of my window. Don't, don't like worry. Pinter. Something will attack him in a minute, Tiffany. Don't worry. Yeah, the bunnies are vicious. <laughs> the bunnies are absolutely vicious. Yeah. It was. I so the, the the sea in Cape Town is freezing cold. I can't swim. Um, I'm terrified of the ocean. And my husband dared me to jump into the water and swim from um, a, a rock that was quite far out back to shore. And if I did that, because he knew there was no way I would do that, if I did that, then he would do all my school deliveries and collections for six weeks. So he would do all the school run for six weeks. And he felt this was a fairly safe bet because there was no way I was going to get into this freezing cold ocean with sharks in it and swim. Doggy pad. I don't even know what I was planning, but I don't like getting up in the morning. So I did it. And the whole bloody beach was watching me, but I sort of somehow managed to get from the rock back to shore and did not have to get out of bed early for six weeks. It was magical. So the outcome of that particular thing was that I got to sleep in and was very creative. But in reality, the answer to your question is only when you do things that you are objectively shit at, will you be willing to accept that the best creativity comes when you're not afraid to fail? That was leading to the point about you've got to be ready to experiment and fail. That seems to be a recurrent theme yeah. in this show and the people we talk with. That Yeah, you've got to be really comfortable with and failure. You've also got to be willing to make a little bit of an ass of yourself in public, right? Because, I mean, there were a good 300 people on that beach watching me stand on the rock and be unable to jump in. It's quite a crowd, so yeah, yeah. 300 people. Yeah, just like. bad, just bad. And my 11... <laughs> you're a local celebrity. No, yeah. no, no, hopefully they've forgotten me. Um, my 11-year-old was in the water at the time saying, Mom, just jump, just jump, Mom, just jump. But uh, anyway, I did jump. I jumped. <laughs> yeah, I've read Kate Blanchett said something very, very similar. She said, true growth comes from being prepared to do something that we know we're going to be absolutely shit at yep. at first. Yep. Okay, so the ability to sort of suck it up and embrace something new yeah. is all of a sudden you realise that, you know, I think that's where the greatest growth comes yeah. as well. Um, but also there's something else missing from that, and that is that I'm always going to be truly shit at swimming. Not at first, always, because it's cold and scary. Yeah. And like cooking, another thing, I'll always be objectively shit at cooking. I'll never be, I'll <laughs> never improve. And I still have to do it, not because I'm on a quest for improvement, but because it's good to do stuff that you are not good at. If you're an overachiever like me, that can become very problematic. <laughs> you know, the need to be good at things. So I, don't, I do not need to be good at swimming. I can be objectively shit at swimming. <laughs> okay. So another question is, is being scared of something an essential part of being more creative? Do you think, do we need to scare ourselves more often? No. Do we plan scared things into our... No. If you like that sort of thing, if that sort of thing jazzes you and gives you energy, then yes. But if not, no. I mean, I think... I don't think one has to be scared in order to be creative, but I think if one is 
the kind of personality that is creatively boosted by adrenaline, then yes, I think it has to, it depends on the personality. But also, I think that some people might find fear incredibly paralyzing, certain kinds yeah. of fear, you know, so I think it's discomfort that breeds creativity, not necessarily fear. And presumably, there's then a, another outcome, which is confidence grows a little yes. bit more confidence grows in someone then to be able to go, I can stretch myself different ways, yes. whether that's creatively or, whatever, or as you say, that takes them outside of a comfort zone. But yeah, correct. anytime you do something new and you go, I didn't die, ah, <laughs> which exactly. in, your, in your case is a good good example where you could have. Well, it, in, my, then in my family, a, a level, an extra level of confidence. In my family, we are very unadventurous. We like to be safe and warm and close to a very fast Wi-Fi signal and a coffee machine. All of us, all three of us, my husband, my daughter, and myself, we are very nerdy, calm, placid people. We do not like high adrenaline environments. And so we have two rules in the family. The one is whatever you try and do when you're broadening yourself is you should only have a 50% chance of actually being able to succeed. And the other is don't die. <laughs> These Good are- tips for life. You just mentioned broadening there, Tiffany, and of course, I think that's number three. Then, do you want to sort of maybe then go into that one? Then this idea sure. of broadening. I, I love the third this one. Competency. So this one is it's sort of a, a continuation of challenging, which is doing things that are uncomfortable or scary for you. Broadening is about extending your knowledge and skills well beyond your own area. So it's not just becoming skilled in your particular niche, but it's broadening your abilities beyond your niche into things that might be niche adjacent or even completely, you know, no no logical connection whatsoever with what you do. So to, to illustrate that, let's say that you are a graphic designer and creatively you don't only want to engage with things that are graphic design because then you're not broadening your knowledge and skills beyond your area. So if you were to look at niche adjacent things, let's say that you would then look at maybe dev development or UX, or you might look at consumer behavior, or you might look at things that are related to graphic design, but not not very neatly within graphic design. So that's the adjacent stuff. And then you should actually jump straight over those to things that have minimal logical connection with graphic design, like baking or Sudoku, or I don't know, whatever, pick your poison here. And I've I've not made this a lifelong practice because I only realized this in my late 30s about myself. What I've started doing is going out of the written word into the visual sort of space. So I I go to an art class once a week. I draw a little bit. I paint a little bit. I work with mixed media. I'm not great. I mean, let's be honest. I'm I'm mediocre at best, but it makes me a better writer. It really, really does. (laughs) Right. Now, I'm really interested in this connection because I, I pushed this point all the time like doing something that exercises that creativity in another way how do you think it makes you a better writer if you've been able to make any connections yeah there like um, if, if this happens then then that happens or I'm, I'm really fascinated by this. so i'll unpack it for you with the art and then i'll unpack it for you with something completely unexpected just to show you how it works in two ways so with the art i've become i think a more a more descriptive writer but in a much cleaner way. So where you might think that someone who's involved in visual arts would use lots of adjectives and lots of very sort of elaborate language. What's actually happened is that my written and verbal language has become tighter, 
but richer and more vivid as a direct result of working with color and texture and tone and intensity and color values and that sort of thing. So it's, it's sort of given me an, another level of language that I didn't have before. Yeah, cool, cool. And the other thing is I've done a lot of, one of my passions is equities. So equity investing and stocks and shares. And I only became financially literate in about 2019. So this is very, very new. But learning about money and the difference between active and passive investing and, and just understanding how to read a, a fun fact sheet, for example, has made my writing better. And I'm more able to and, and more skilled at writing financial stuff, which was never an area that I really loved doing. I did it and I was probably above average at it. But now I'm really, really good at it because I really, really like that stuff. So, you know, that's a completely unrelated thing to what I do that's made me better. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about the painting as the visual stuff has improved the language and the writing. And you said about appreciating in the visual world you have tone and mm. texture and is it that you then start to recognize what words allow you to have a similar impact that you kind of go oh this is going to give texture to this paragraph or yes this is going to get the right tone in this book because it's really interesting then it's yeah. almost like you then apply the words like you would color to a canvas type thing yeah. and you know the Im impact or effect you're trying to get it, That's really it, it interesting. helps. Yeah. It ha so uh, for me, the the writing equivalent of texture is rhythm, and I strive okay. very, very hard in my writing for rhythm and flow. And so I think that visual art has made me better at that. It's also made me more sensitive to nuance, because there's a world of difference between one grey and another grey. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What colour is your house? White? <laughs> no, no, no. My no. house is my house is grey. And I can tell you how bloody hard it was to find the right grey because there is a world of difference between grey and grey. <laughs> like Eskimos have 26 words for snow, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, so, so I have, yeah, I have 400 like, words so. for grey. There is shit grey and then there is blue grey and then there is green grey and then there is brown grey and then there is horrible grey and then there is kitsch grey and then there is the grey we actually painted our house, which is, it'll well, do that, for the next five wonderful. years grey. <laughs> there was that wonderful film, wasn't there, that they did about shades of grey? And was that that was about decorating someone's house? Was it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't it? I'm not going to watch it then. So, uh, I, I was ashamed to say I've never read it. I've never read it, and I've never seen the film, and I probably should because apparently it's delightful middle-aged porn. <laughs> but I just can't for that writer. That writer writes in a very irritating way, so I can't. <laughs> I can't. There's me. I, th I thought I was going to get some DIY tips. Forget that. Sorry, not from me. <laughs> now, um, building on, I like this idea, and it sort of broadening goes into number four in this, uh, you know, creative competencies, and that is surround yourself with stimuli. What does the study mean and where might we start with this surrounding ourselves with stimuli? I think this is the easiest one, frankly, because this requires the least behavior change. It just requires a little bit of open-mindedness. So one of the key rules of creativity is don't be an insular asshole, right? <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, that's probably the line of the, of the podcast. Tiffany says, in order to be creative, don't be an insular asshole. That should be a t-shirt. We should Love have, it. we should have merch. We're always on the lookout for merch. Right. We've well, you can, you can quote me. Hashtags and t-shirts. Yeah. For optimal creativity, don't start by not being an insular asshole. And so this one is the easiest one because what you do is you surround yourself with things that you either disagree with or don't understand. 
So for example, you surround yourself with people who are different to you, with language that is unfamiliar, with opinions or political viewpoints or ideologies that are foreign to you, with inputs that are uncomfortable. So if you are a visual learner, surround yourself with a bit more auditory content. So I've done that over the years, a lot more podcasts, a lot more audiobooks, because I'm very much a reader. Another thing about our family, while we are at home in silence, listening to our own thoughts, we, we are not a very musical family. So what, what we started doing is trying to play music more at home because we find it so uncomfortable. So it's, it's those sorts of things. It's finding unfamiliar stimuli. And one of the reasons that I love this one so much is because when I do a stage talk, in fact, you may have seen me do this in New York, Simon, is I usually say one of the best stimuli to surround yourself with is, is strange and unusual people. And so you should start with me. And then I put my social media hashtags up on the screen which is just a, you know, a really unsubtle punt. <laughs> but yeah, stimuli, th- these sorts of things really do make you better quickly. And also visual stimuli. So again, as a writer, I was never really into visual arts until my 30s. And now I'm completely obsessed with visual art. But also if you look at my current environment, the office that I'm sitting in right now, there is a lot going on. There is a lot of art. There are plants, very bright colors, there's a, a rug, like a completely insane rug. There's the mad canvas behind me, which which you can see, gentlemen, but nobody else can. I'll send a photo for the show notes. And there, there's some insane stuff going on in this room. A lot of skulls, ceramic skulls and paintings of skulls and representations of skulls. I love skulls. And all sorts of stimuli that would make it impossible for me, it would be impossible for me to be creative without visual brightness in my environment. And I think there's a nice lens. Think around the office you work in or the team you lead. What type of environment are you creating for people to go in and work at? What's the visual stimuli like? What's that energy like? Because it creates, and I'm a huge believer in this, that that creates an energy. And if Mm. you go into an advertising agency or a design agency, it'll be really bright and bubbly and all sorts of things on the walls, and which obviously drives that creativity as well. If you go into a person's house who does something creative for a living, their house is an extension of that. And I think they feed into each other as well. It'll be that bright, bubbly house with, you know, great books, rugs, pictures, plants, all of that mm, stuff, mm. as opposed to that 1980s East German communist sort of grey vibe, <laughs> if you can sort of picture that, which is a lot of offices. Well, well. in South Africa, we have we have a, a god-awful aesthetic, which is it's sort of the result of trying to be classy, it's like this weird beige minimalism. So what, what you'll see is like a sort of a late 90s, early 2000s aesthetic, which will be everything is beige, beige, beige floors, beige walls, beige black furniture, bland art, beige minimalism. It's like, it's like your mother-in-law's sock drawer. It's horrendous. And so you will, that, that is, it's like the South African equivalent of communist gray. It's beige. Ha. <laughs> Tiffany, just. Thinking about that environment, as you just described it, you've got that crazy environment around you. What I was curious about is where do you find your creative flow? And is there a particular environment you need to be in to find it? What does that look like for you when you're actually doing the work that you do? So happily, it's in my head. I know that sounds so deeply cheesy, but I can come up with cool things anywhere, provided that my immediate my, you know, my first square meter around me is the way it needs to be. So we, we, I work in my office, which is bright and crazy and insane because it, it keeps me energized the whole day. But I could produce good work in a coffee shop, provided that 
what is immediately around me is suitable. And that would need to be reliable power, enough space to type and write, ready access to coffee. In fact, my coffee machine at the office needs to be within stretching distance. And I'm very short. I have very short arms, but I can currently (laughs) touch the coffee machine from where I sit. Um, And there's a huge coffee machine in the building, which I do not use because it's not within reaching distance of my hand. Uh, That's five meters away. I don't get it. No, it's too far. Jeepers. Definitely not. It's like the, it's like an epic trick. So my, my immediate space needs to be set up a certain way, but no, I can get into flow anywhere. In fact, in fact, in fact, you, you thought you had a slight weirdo on your podcast, but now you know. I have worked in the boot of my car parked outside my child's school on my laptop with my legs crossed. I am extremely short, so I can comfortably sit in the trunk of my own car. And I've worked there very effectively for years. <laughs> now, I, when I met you in New York, you seem much taller than someone who can do that. So, Really? <laughs> Goodness gracious. I'm five feet tall. Just. Just five feet tall. Oh, okay. There, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So it must be my huge personality. So, Tiffany, every episode, we like to stretch our minds with a thought experiment. And as we are called the occupational philosophers, this is something that philosophers have done through the ages as they wrestle with the answers to you know, some really big questions and ponder and take their mind to a, a different sort of place, almost like a, a bit of a, a mental stroking of the beard as your, your mind wanders to those bigger questions. So, this week, we thought with your interest in helping people create great copy – we thought we would see if you can guess which of these headlines are real in our challenge. And this is called copyright or copy wrong. Ah. So if it's copyright, which is true, you say copyright. And if it's copy wrong, you say copy wrong. And we'll just you know, read through this and you have to tell us if it's copyright or copy <laughs> wrong. Okay. Would you? So copyright coming from a true piece of copy that we have do you, looked at. Do you want me to say it immediately after the headline in question or should I wait till the end? No, immediately, immediately after. after. The, uh, okay. Immediately after. Okay. okay. All right. First one. First bit of copy. Statistics show that teen pregnancy drops off significantly after age 25. <laughs> that copyright I would love to say that that is copy wrong but I'm prepared to bet that some asshole really did write that so it's copyright yeah copyright from a Colorado Springs newspaper in 1999 all right John I'll do the next one number two one-armed man applauds the copy of strangers uh that's a trick question because you took a, a headline that some idiot did actually write and then you put copy in. And so I'm going to say it's copy wrong, but I bet you the first half is genuine. <laughs> Simon? That is right. That's a typo. <laughs> but it was one our man applauds the kindness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you picked our typo as well. Yeah. You're good. I, I can even <laughs> pick out typos without seeing the words. <laughs> oh, my God. You're like a ninja. Yeah, the copy I one. am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Now, the bear ate honey. Now, a little bit of context. No, I'm just going to say that. The the bear ate honey, and this is around supposedly someone's dog called Honey that was eaten by a bear. (gasps) Mine was the bear ate honey. That's terrible, but I'm sure it's accurate. Well, you're not the ninja we thought you were. That's copy wrong. (laughs) Uh, I made that one up. So. (laughs) 
Well, I, f- I felt sad. You see, you know what you did? You evil man. You threw me a, an emotional curveball because I got sad about the dog being munched and then I couldn't concentrate. <laughs> well, there you go. So, Good copy. Uh, All right. I mean, I'm going to do the next one. I'm going to jump number five on the list here, if that's okay. The Manlock by Mukgard protects your manhole against unwanted access. <laughs> Is that copyright? Yeah, God. Oh. It's horribly written. No offense, but uh, it's uh, it's probably it's probably right. Oh, <laughs> it's copyright. I've only yeah. just read it. I, I'm new to this list that's been compiled. Oh man! Wow, that is epically awful. What is a manhole? Well, you know, it's like the the thing in the ground where you go under down into oh, the sewer. That's not yeah. where I thought that was going. <laughs> well, but that, that's my point. It's the no. I was thinking of an ad- yeah, a chastity belt for a guy. But what hole? <laughs> like, I was getting very worried. Wow. <laughs> but it's from a, an ad from McGuard Security Products, <laughs> who provide uh, protective coverings so people can't go down into. I mean, to be to okay. be fair, Tiffany, I think you should be contacting some of these people and say, look, I think I could do some. I could do some work for you. So let me tell you that doing that typically does not yield the kind of success that you would think. So I don't do it. But can I also say that that I bet you that copy comes from some either Australia or New Zealand because that's very much that New Zealand sort of I built a deck and my neighbor's children sit on my deck, that whole thing. That's very much that sort of no. flow. No. I, I believe this was from the United States with uh with wow. no humor intended. What? So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. That's my understanding. Now the next one, copyright or copyright? Yeah. I take a sheet in the pool. Mm. I take a sheet in the pool. God, I'd love to say that it's copyright, but it's probably made up by you to throw me. No, this is copyright. Aww. This is a billboard for sheets energy supplements. And as it says, I take a sheet in the pool. And the, la- <laughs> and the lady was <laughs> sitting there in all the swimming gear saying, I take a sheet in the pool. Right. All right, John. <laughs> I think, should we, should we do two more, Simon? One each? Just two. Two, two more, yeah, two, two more. Two more. Yeah. Two more. Uh, the ninja gonna... has lost her, her, her polish. <laughs> it's here all gone go. horribly here, wrong. Here we go, Tiffany. Next one here is woman missing since she got lost. I bet you anything that's real. Copyright. That is copyright. It's from a Chicago paper in 2011. Go on, Simon. Pick one of the last ones on that list there. All right. Last one. Phone out of service? Give us a call. (laughs) Yeah. um, Shit. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think. uh, You see, I'm, I'm trying to play two games here. I'm trying to guess what you are trying to do and what they are trying to do. So I'm going to say it's probably copyright. Yes, copyright. Hey. This is on a billboard on a highway from the Pacific Bell phone company in the United States, where a lot of our copyright, yeah. a lot of our copyright shenanigans have come from. So, Tiffany, as a not-so-serious business podcast, it's really important that we start to try and distill some of the wisdom and insights that our guests provide into advice that we can use as individuals, perhaps, or as part of the teams that we might be within or working with, or in the organizations that we're part of as well. So, Simon, maybe a first question that you have around how we might be able to 
draw from Tiffany's work as individuals. Well, Tiffany, I know you had a question. Okay, so let's address that. What was your question? I'm an overachiever, right? So I need to know how I did on the thought experiment. I need my score, I simply That means please in, in Afrikaans. I need my score. I must know. I can't live without my score. Okay, well, there were seven questions and you got five uh, out of seven, which on our scale of thought experiments is in the top, I'd say, 10%. Well, it's definitely not in the enough, 10%. not enough. Well, uh, we always compare you to other guests, and that is better than Michelle Obama. So there you go. You are in. Seriously? Yeah, you're, you're in. Yeah, and the, the Dalai Lama, he was quite good, but, you know, he choked to the end. He got a bit nervous. Okay, as well, well as, long as, as long as I'm on a par with Michelle, that's fine. I'm happy with that. <laughs> okay, now what I'm really interested in, you're an individual sitting at home, you might be part of a large organization, you might have your own business, whatever that may be. You've done really, really well in the world of freelancing. Okay, now we're in this space where it's probably never been easier to start a business because you only need a desk and a, a website, which you can put together for a few hundred dollars. However, we also notice that it's never as smooth as what you might think. So I've got a couple of questions around this. What are some of your tips from the world of freelancing and sort of starting a business and running a successful business that we could apply? Is there a top three? And a follow-up question, there's this big piece around being an entrepreneur in an organization. So imagine you're an internal freelancer in an organization. What's some things which you might apply from that? So top three, I think, for successful freelancing, the first one would be start as you mean to go on. I know that's a bit trite, but what I mean by that is create your own systems and adhere to them yourself. So be very serious about your documentation, your rate card, your quote template, your invoice template, invoice on time. Have a set of rules that are not cast in stone, but that you are fairly firm about and committed to and be willing to defend them. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is get very clear on what you offer, but again, don't be too wedded to it. So your niche may evolve over time, but be able to articulate it at every point so that you can answer the question, what do you do with confidence and not with lots of ums and ers and I don't know, and a bit of this and a bit of that. And perhaps the third one would be understand how money works and uh, have an emergency fund. Because if we learned anything from the pandemic, it's that if you're a, a freelancer who's in an uncertain place for a couple of months, you really do need a buffer so that you don't have to chuck it all in and look for a job at the last minute. And I think that that emergency fund should be three to six months worth of earnings in an interest-bearing account that you can access quickly, um, not a 32-day notice deposit or anything like that. So I think that for the individuals, that would be the top three freelancing tips. And then for somebody working in an organization, if you are either wanting to take ownership of a particular thing in your job, or you're wanting to start a side hustle, or you're wanting to leave employment and go on your own, it's all about mentality. It's all about owning the thing, whatever the thing is, as much as you possibly can, whether it is yours or not, because one day it may well be. So whether it is now or not, it's about taking complete and total ownership of the thing. Mm. Now, there's also in the world of freelancing, there's a lot of hustle yep. as well. That's why some people say, oh, I can never do freelancing because you know of the hustle. How could you bring a little bit more hustle into your work if you're permanently employed? So maybe, which I hear a lot, as I said, that entrepreneurship or, you know, an internal freelancer or something. Is there a piece there? What's the mindset piece in that sort of hustle space? 
or the energy or whatever that. I think be. that some people are, are hustle people and some people are not. And if you're not, that's okay. You might evolve into one later. I think that to bring hustle energy into an entrepreneurial space, in other words, into a traditional job, is about. I hate the expression "leaning in," but it's about stepping into vacuums created by others. I think that's where a lot of a lot of energy can come from, and a lot of benefit can come from. Just moving on to teams, Tiffany. What's some of the things that teams can start to consider in the way they work together, particularly when they're thinking about helping them sort of build their creative muscle, their ideation muscle? And I know that you've spoken about the importance of unplugging at different points. And I wonder if with people working remotely, what does that look like for a team who who might be staring at the screen all day? I should first say that if my husband ever listens to this podcast, he's going to laugh his ass off that I'm giving people advice about unplugging because I can barely unplug for 35 (laughs) seconds. And he is constantly saying to me, please unplug, please unplug. And I can't, I find it hard. So and with with that being stated up front, I think that hybrid teams and teams working remotely have got a huge series of challenges baked into what they are doing and learning to do. And that those are going to come with a host of techniques that are going to be needed to produce the kinds of creativity that you could get in the real world. And unplugging is not always possible if you're a completely remote team or even a hybrid team. So you're going to have to find your unplugging in unusual places. In other words, you're going to have to do, I don't know, video off meetings or walking meetings, you know, where you're on a a voice call, but not, and you're walking around a place, or you're going to have to do a whiteboard brainstorming remotely you're going to have to do a lot more chit chat a lot more chit chat than we were previously comfortable with in the old world you know you could walk into a boardroom talk for five minutes and then start the meeting now I think you need to do a hell of a lot more team building if you're going to brainstorm creatively without physical access to each other so the rules are are just quite simply going to have to change and evolve and again I, I would caution you against looking for one way and I would try a whole lot of different things. And presumably just thinking about those four creative competencies and how teams might embrace those, I suppose does it follow fairly straightforwardly? They should capture and record, they should surround themselves by stimuli, they should encourage that going out and finding stimuli. They should be reporting back on how they've stretched themselves or how they've made, you know, they've done something that was uncomfortable for them. Would it be that kind of thing that could help a team flourish as well? I think it could absolutely help. I think the warning, the only caveat I would give would be when you are sharing your experience of those four creativity boosting competencies that you've engaged in as an individual, keep it short because your audience doesn't really have the appetite to listen to six people talk about all four of those things. So I would get very good at summarizing the one thing you did this week that was extremely challenging or the the one thing you did that was capturing something that you might otherwise have discarded. So when reporting back on that, in order for people to learn from it, just keep it tight because otherwise it becomes a bit of a circle jerk. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to lead straight into that. I like circle jerk. That's my hashtag circle jerk. Yeah. Now, just looking, imagine in a, in a leadership lens or you're someone who communicates a lot to other people, one of the key themes which keeps coming through all the innovation and design work I do is this piece around story, the importance of story, engaging people with story. 
Do you have a tip from your world how we could become a better storyteller, either written or verbal, or you sort of think that's rubbish? No, yeah, tell no, us. no, no. I, I don't discount the importance of story, but I do think it's exceptionally hard to, to create if you're not a writer. So, you, you know, you get these managers who read the Donald Miller book and then they teach their people about the story brand and then everyone's story obsessed for a few months, but it's practically very hard to do if you're not a trained writer. So my advice to any leader or organization trying to build innovation and interactivity and quality content through story is a story only has three parts at its very basic core. You know, you start off in a place and then through challenge or adversity or joy, you go to another place and then at the end you move to a third place, right? So all stories are that. So it's boy meets girl, boy infuriates girl, girl hates boy, uh, girl loves boy, boy and girl love each other, happy ending. It's, it's always the same sort of arc. And so if you use microfocus to look at the teeny tiny details of the story, then even if you're not a writer, you can find the interesting stuff in it. So if you zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and find the smallest thing that resonates with the largest number of people. So Simon, you may remember from my talk in New York, I spoke about the Ever Given, which is the container ship, the 400 meter long container ship that got stuck in the Suez sideways in 2021 and blocked global trade for six days. And I had two clients in global trade at the time, a US client and a Swiss client. They both wanted content on the ever given getting stuck and the impact on global trade. But everyone was talking about it and there was nothing new to say because the thing was just objectively stuck. So what I did was I went into the impact of that blockage, the global delivery of cutlery to restaurants and and hotels, and was able to do a very interesting piece on knives and forks, <laughs> which are a very small thing that affect a large number of people that people could really identify with, whereas they couldn't identify with, you know, 9.6 billion US dollars in global trade being impacted by a container ship. So that piece is around uh, find something interesting and new and create the story there. Well, and it would be something, something small, that interests you as something well? small. That, okay. yeah, it's, it's micro, micro right. focus. So it doesn't have to be something that interests you. It's not about you. It's about your audience. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. I guess when I ask that question, something, I guess if there's something that interests you, you might be a better storyteller. Does that work? Or you think you need to be good at finding uh, the, the micro in whatever that is? I think if you, if you love something, you'll find the storytelling easier, but not necessarily better. I think that if one had to know something really well to write about it, there would be no copywriters at all. I mean, I've had a wonderful time writing about the machines that are used to make bricks, <laughs> which I have no interest in. But it was really, really enjoyable because I really was interested in what the audience wanted to know about the machines that make bricks and who are the people who want to know about the machines that make bricks, you know. So as, as content creators, it's not about us at all. Tiffany, we have another thought experiment now. And this is being put together because we know you have an interest in cats and bats. <laughs> so this thought experiment is called Cat or bat. And simply, I'm going to oh. give you, well, and Simon as well, the name or breed of certain cats or bats, and you just have to decide, is it a cat or is it a bat? Pretty straightforward, huh? Okay. So the first no, one is, let's, uh, we're going to rattle through these. So the first one is Pixie Bob. Is that a Pixie Bob that's cat? A, that's a Pixie cat. Pixie Bob. It is cat. a cat. Oh, yep. strong start. Strong start. Yep. Simon. Strong start. The Fijian monkey-faced. That's a bat. Cat. That's a bat. Correct. That's On a bat. Roll. Beaufort's naked backed. Oh, I think that's probably a bat as well. 
It is a bad thing. Oh, three, oh, three, oh. three out of three. Three out of three. Three out of three. No, that, that. <laughs> the Japanese bobtail. That's a cat. Cat, 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 cat. Cat, cat, cat. All right, correct. That's Chantilly Tiffany. Dear God, that's a cat. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, John. Is, Do you realise where this is headed? This could be, could a, be a, 100%. I know. Has anyone ever done okay. that before? Has anyone ever smashed it 100%? No, <gasps> you'll be. You've got two oh, left. Robert, two oh, I'm so scared. Tension. Tension and jeopardy. Okay. All right. The Ethiopian large-eared round leaf. That's definitely a bat because the leaf is the nose. Oh. All oh, right. Well, it all hangs on this one then. Sorry, all right. Bit of a drum roll. Yeah, drum roll. I'm scared. My heart is racing. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is the last one, Tiffany, okay? And it is the Mississippi Mountain Cloth-Eared Round-Faced Chattanooga Choo Choo. You made that up, man. <laughs> That's not a thing. Is that genuine? Is that a genuine animal? No, it's not. You made it up. <laughs> no, no, I did make it up. Yeah. So I'm 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 a hundred percent. Oops. So you've got a hundred percent. You've called it out. Yeah. Okay. That is. We're going to ring the bell. This is. If anyone asks me my greatest achievement of 2022, I want you to know that that was it. Cat or bat? That was that was terrifying. But actually, I'm quite impressed with myself. Yeah. Okay. Especially knowing the the large eared round leaf. The the leaf. Yeah. The well, the the nose leaf is what we call the bats. Nose, so that one, th- yeah, that yeah. one, that one was easy because because there's jargon in there, you know. Well, okay. there we go. All right, so how impressive that was, cat or bat. All right, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of a rapid fire round. So, Tiffany, what's one thing you couldn't do without in your life at the moment? Audiobooks. Tiffany what's your most hated adjective unique we are building the occupational philosophers manigesto what one thing of all your learning do you think should be included in order to be creative don't be an insular asshole I was hoping you were going to say that (laughs) because that goes on our tree so (laughs) on our website okay shirts mugs and baseball cap yeah is there a book we should be reading? There are lots of books you should be reading. I cannot possibly select one. Okay, now let's say you've come to the later years in your life. You've come to that time where you're going to move into a, a lovely retirement home. You're brought in. The nurse says, hello, this is Tiffany. How would you like to be introduced? This is Tiffany. She? This is Tiffany. Uh, she was very generous with her learning, but she will bite you. If you touch her coffee. Um, and I should, I should probably also always be introduced with a, a parental guidance warning for language. <laughs> oh, I think you've been pretty good, actually. Huh. I think you've been pretty Thank good. You. So uh, we've heard the odd thing worse. So no, I think all good. <laughs> I think all good. Okay, good. Uh, what are you up to next, Tiffany? I'm currently putting the finishing touches on a stage talk on uh, overcoming imposter syndrome which is a very, very cool one that I'm excited about. I'm busy with um, lots of interviews at the moment, TV, podcast, radio, etc., etc., and writing some sexy copy for some cool clients at the moment. 
Right. And look, on that, having seen Tiffany speak, we'll make sure your details are in our, on the show notes. But yeah, really, really good speaker, entertained a very multicultural, multinational audience in New York. And as I said, the room was full and having a really, really good laugh and, you know, great content as well. So look, where can we find you, connect with you, buy your virtual drinks? How might people uh, I think drinks are, yeah, drinks are, follow up? Drinks are largely wasted on me. My currency is caffeine. The best way to find me is just, I know this sounds super wankerish, but I'm going to say it anyway, just Google me because that's the best way to find all the things. And it's Tiffany Mark Mann, not Mark Ham. My husband, when set up with me on a blind date, Googled the wrong surname and found no one and then said, you're supposed to be quite well known as a writer, but I couldn't find you online. Turns out he was Googling the wrong surname. So it's Tiffany Mark Mann and you'll find all my socials and all my stuff and lots and lots of strong opinions and I would love to connect with uh, anyone irreverent and philosophical and a huge amount of great content as well and things you can download and templates and I got to about page five and I was still going so um, yeah (laughs) yeah there is some really really great content there as well so um, yeah please do engage Tiffany only remains to say thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your time in what's clearly a very busy schedule. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was a huge amount of fun. I'm very smug about my five out of seven. <laughs> okay, well, as you should be. And I look forward to putting Don't Be an Insular Arsehole yeah. on our many guest oh, magic. I think it's one of our best ones we've had so far. Magic. So look, from John and I, again, thanks again. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the Occupational Philosophy. Thanks, Jens. It was a pleasure. John, what a great guest Tiffany was. A lot of fun, so much great insight and content as well, as always. Yeah. Yeah, what a great guest. Yeah, and there she's got some real sharp insights there. And we like to do our takeaways and share those right at the end. So what were yours, Simon? What were some of the takeaways for you? Well, look, I really like the some the pieces from the creative competencies, I guess. Mm. I might sort of look on a couple of those. And one of those was, you know, challenge. So do things that scare you or you know you're going to suck at it first. And I think it's just that ability to go as letting go of that perfection. Okay. I know I'm not going to look like a professional, but we don't say something like I'm not going to run because I'm not as good as Usain Bolt or mm. something like that. So just give into something, be okay with doing something which you know you're not going to be good at the first time. And whether you improve ever or whether you don't, just that experience. Also, that one around is surround yourself with stimuli and it's a no-brainer. Just, you know, create some vibrancy in your life. But really, yeah, I really also like that last one around. Don't be an insular arsehole as well. So, <laughs> surround <laughs> an insular arsehole in my uh, best Australian accent. <laughs> what a great thing. Yeah, open your mind and don't be an a-hole. That'll take you pretty much <laughs> a long way in life. That's what I tell my kids. Just don't be an arsehole. You'll get along. You'll get a lot further. <laughs> a lot of other people. And interestingly enough, when people say, "Oh, you know, what's some advice with your job, doing what you do?" I always say that. Just don't be an arsehole. Like literally, because so many people covers all go, bases, oh. doesn't it? <laughs> they go, "You're really nice to work with," and you think, "No, I'm just not being an arsehole." But apparently, there's a high competition for arseholes out there. So. <laughs> Anyway, John, what about you? What were your Well, it's probably coming back to those creative competencies similar to yourself, I think. The capture and recording without judgment. I think as a habit, that's a really nice one to get into. And I do try to, but I don't have the same system, I think, that clearly Tiffany has in place. So I'd be I think I'm 
curious to think about how I can get a better system and form a, a habit whereby I can capture stuff yeah. in a book yeah. or with the voice notes or drawing something, whatever it is, but make sure I keep recording that stuff. And then coming back to it, you know, she was culling it, she was theming it, she was categorizing it and just being a bit more, you know, dipping into that and, and using it in a more structured way. So I thought that was really useful. We could all do that, I think. And then she said about broadening, which it not dissimilar to that trying new stuff, not being scared to fail, but she was talking about just expanding your skills into, as it were, niche adjacent areas and beyond. And of course that is, again, it's really useful. How she found painting informed and improved her yeah. language skills or her writing skills i thought it was yeah. interesting she talked about bringing tone and texture in the way you would to a painting into the way she wrote paragraphs and text and copy so yeah some really really and i think stuff. whatever whatever your creative outlet it all comes from the same spot if you know what i mean so you're exercising you're accessing different uh you know creating new pathways in your brain as you do that stuff as well so, John, that's us. We're back from our Northern Hemisphere summer break. So we've got some great, awesome guests coming up from now until the end of the year. So, look, as always, go to our website, occupationalphilosophers.com. You will see all of our guests up there as well with their thing they've wanted to say. And I'm looking forward to, don't be an insular asshole, <laughs> going on our uh, guest tree with our, our many guests. So, so occupationalphilosophers.com, you can follow us on our socials on there, which we never actually update. But, you know, good habits, John. We'll see, we'll see what happens we've got with some, that. We've got and some look, work to do there. And as always, John, as always. Well, I was going to say, and don't forget, subscribe, tell your friends, rate yes. us, give us a review. Yes. Reviews yes. are lovely to get, to read, to, well, if they're nice, that is. So <laughs> send us a review. Get in touch if you want, and you can do that through the website. All the details Facts. are there. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. Well, and John's fax machine, which he loves at home. I'm powering right, it up. So now. look, on that note, as always, Stay curious, make stuff, play more, have fun, and date life. Now, John, I was really interested in that cat and bat list. If you could be anyone on that, anyone or any cat or any bat on that list, what would you be? Well, I was thinking the Chantilly Tiffany cat, because it just sounds like it would be kept in a nice house and be fed lovely food with a big bowl of milk. It's, it's quite a... <laughs> Sounds quite posh, doesn't it? Chantilly Tiffany. It'd be well looked after. I'd go the, I'd go the opposite, just to scare you. I'd, I'd be the Beaufort's naked-backed bat. I'd just come up the window and go, and then turn around and shame my back. <laughs>